everyone, and welcome to Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, retired NYPD homicide sergeant, and we have an unbelievable show today. We have retired NYPD crime scene sergeant, John Perucci, who also owns a company called Forensics for Free. I mean, excuse me. I mean, Forensics for All. I get pissed off when I see Forensics for Free because nothing's free about anything you do in this world. And today, instead of presenting a case, we're going to go into the science of investigation. And by that, specifically, we're going into ballistics. And everyone that is into the science of ballistics knows the definition of ballistics is the science of a projectile in motion, which includes a few different things. And there's three types of ballistics, internal ballistics, external ballistics, and terminal. Internal, as it says, is everything that happens inside the firearm, which is a hell of a lot to do with identifying uh, the projectile once it hits its target. Part of that is, is in the casing, the firing pin impression, the tool marks on the side of the casing, and of course, the rifling on the actual projectile. So those are three identifiers that uh, comprise internal ballistics. External ballistics is everything that happens outside the firearm, which is a hell of a lot of things. You know, when we talk about stippling and what comes out of the barrel of the gun, uh, as well as the ejection of the uh, shell casing. And believe me, I'm out of my lane talking like a scientist because I'm no scientist. And the third part of ballistics is terminal ballistics. And that is what happens to the projectile once it hits its target or hits whatever. In the case of what we're going to talk about today, uh, John Pellucci is going to talk about um, the science of ricochet and ricochet characteristics. Well, without any further ado, because I exhausted my scientific knowledge on ballistics, I'd like to introduce to you Sarge, retired sergeant and the owner of Forensics for All, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. John Pellucci. Thanks, Bill. That was great. That was perfect. Couldn't have said it better. So, uh, Actually, I changed the company to uh, CSI Experts, Inc. I'm trying to maybe expand, you know, so... Uh, I just found my ballistics expert right now after oh, that, wow. that, that monologue. I could so. use some work. You know, when I, when I ran into Ed Mullins, the president of the SBA, we were talking about the Inside Blue 360 uh, site for our podcast. He said to me, he goes, oh, you're unemployed, right? <laughs> and, and I never thought of myself as, as be, you know, a retired guy being unemployed. But yeah, he made me feel a little bit shorter that day when he said, oh, you're unemployed. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't expect retirement to be this much work. You know, I was thinking margaritas and sunsets and uh, on the beach, and that's about it. But, man, we've been, we've been busy, you know. I and think you're uh, working harder than most, you know. I'm going in circles. It's uh, one more in the water. It's know? good. It's good to be busy. It's good it to is. be needed. It's good to be wanted. It's good to be loved. <laughs> yeah. Amen, my brother. Preaching. <laughs> so, yeah. And you know what's good about what we do is, uh, you know, we we entertain people and we, we inform people. You know, a lot of this stuff is really important. A lot of this information wouldn't get out there. I know, uh, you know, I've traveled around. I've taught in, in uh, different departments around the country and uh, seen like a real need for a lot of this knowledge. And it's not just other departments, our department too, a lot of this stuff 
uh, a lot of knowledge I picked up after retirement. You know, there's just uh, no, John. That that's that's funny because one of the unique things about the NYPD and maybe some other very large police departments is that we have a separate crime scene unit, which does all the scientific evidence collection, and they do a lot of the stuff that would be very difficult for a detective squad or an individual detective to do because it's a whole separate area of investigative ex expertise. And I, I'm sure you going around the country see lots of departments that don't have a crime scene unit. So the individual detective has to do all uh, the collection of the evidence, yeah. all the photographing, all the documenting of the crime scene, and a, a whole different type of investigation. Yeah. And especially now when you think about it, that uh, there's so much funding being cut from police departments. I was, I just saw law enforcement today uh, had an article about uh, they're not even sending a sector car to, to uh, motor vehicle accidents, you know. So, so this, this kind of stuff, like, so, so what I, I think it's really important, regardless of whether or not you have a crime scene unit, it's really important for the, for the line level people to know a lot of this stuff, you know, to be able to recognize something, to know what a ricochet mark looks like, because, but you know how it is by the time, so you would, you know, we'd have our patrol guys get there, maybe EMS get there, then you guys in the squad would get there. And then we were the last people to get there in, in crime scene, you know. So, but uh, there were some things that we could pick up that other people didn't pick up on. But but usually most of the scene uh, was mapped out in, in, in some way or another. A lot of the evidence was identified in, in, in one way or another. I think the patrol guys do a pretty good job of that. But uh, it, it never hurts to have more training. Well, well, John, you know what I was always amazed at, because I, I was never very good at it myself, was how a really um, well-versed, a well-educated crime scene detective or crime scene boss could read the crime scene and say, this is what happened, this is where it happened, and this is how it happened. And I'd be like, how do you know that? You know, and they would look at the indicators, you know, cast off stains, you know, uh, the shell casing found behind the person. You uh, must have been standing here if it was found, you know, six feet to the right there. You know, just little things like that that you learn. Well, for when you crime scene guys learn from doing it, but also when you go to hundreds of crime scenes, uh, you learn how to read it just like a book. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's really no substitute for experience. There's, uh, I mean, where the way I work now, I work with a lot of people who've lived inside the walls of a laboratory and they know all about this stuff. They know much more about physics than I ever, ever will my whole life. Even if I started studying every day right now, I never catch up to these people, but, but there's a lot of things that, that you learn as a street cop, you know, that, and that was one of the things in a case I was testifying about is, you know, on direct examination, they asked me, they said, you're there when the bloodshed is actually occurring, right? I mean, cause how many times have you been in, in a brawl or maybe you're bleeding or your partner's bleeding, the perp's bleeding. Uh, you know, so you're actually there when this stuff is unfolding. So, we, you know, the, the whole notion of a perp discarding a gun and stuff like that, that that's that's stuff that that is experienced. But didn't they say above 96th Street, a gun never hits the ground? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that the saying they used to say? Yeah, I think never so. Never actually hits the cement. <laughs> right, right. There's always someone a... catches it before. It's like a fumbled <laughs> football that's up in the air. Right. <laughs> You've heard that one. Yeah, yeah. We, we said that. I remember when I was in uh, when I was in narcotics, there was a big chase with some guy, and uh, he had a bicycle. One of the guys threw the bicycle over a fence, 
into a into a playground so nobody else that you know in the scene were trying to catch everybody so nobody else would get in right away and before that thing even made it over the fence there was a guy waiting there caught it and he goes riding off <laughs> i mean that thing didn't even hit the ground you know yeah. well you so, know we were talking about also about uh crime scenes and reading crime scenes and you can't really underline how important it is for the catching detective to walk the crime scene with the crime scene unit and to discuss what they have or what they think they have because at some point that case may be going to court right and also the catching detective is going to have to explain that crime scene to the district attorney yeah. and so he has to have a working knowledge of what actually occurred and even if he doesn't specifically read it himself he could get that from the crime scene unit detectives or the bosses there yeah, I, I think I remember uh, I remember we had the forensic initiative uh, started around 2007, 2008. There was, uh, I remember uh, at one point, you know, to type one line item on a voucher, it was like three sentences, you know, you yeah. had to put, so, so, but I mean, but that, so that was a learning curve, but, but the whole thing was one of the most significant things is this communication between the crime scene guys and the squad guys. So, so that initial walkthrough, because you guys have already been there, you might have some witness statements, you might have already seen some video, that initial walkthrough with the crime scene and the squad. And then a final walkthrough is always a good thing. And uh, maintaining communication throughout the whole, uh, throughout the whole uh, processing of the scene. So we can have contact with you guys as, uh, as you're uncovering more evidence, because I mean everything's evidence, right? You get a statement from a witness, that's evidence. You right. find uh, you find the perp, that that's evidence. You got his house, uh, you know, maybe there's some bloody clothing there. But you know you're... something, John? That there's nothing better than someone that saw what happened to explain yeah. to you what happened, so that you don't have to interpret it from looking at the evidence. I had Barbara Butcher on the show early on, and I remember we had the discussion about. Um, body temperature and how you can predict time of death by the body temperature. And I said to her, I said, Barbara, really the most important thing is who last saw this person alive? You may be doing all these calculations, but if this person <laughs> made a phone call two hours ago, there's, there's a pretty good indicator when yeah. the person was last alive. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. She said that's so so true, you know. Yeah, well, it's good when the science can and and the other uh, the circumstantial or the eyewitness and all that stuff when they corroborate each other, you know, right. or or you can totally impeach each other. Like you could have a statement from a witness and and some some evidence in the crime scene says, "Hey, man, that that didn't happen," you know. Right. Yeah. Not like you said it did. And that's what guys like you can tell us. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so we'll talk a little bit about bullet ricochets. You know, bullet ricochet phenomena. Um, how many times have you been to a police-involved shooting where there's numerous shots fired? And what you know, uh, one of the things to know about a ricochet is first of all, what does it even look like, right? But once we get to know something about a ricochet mark, there's so much information that we can learn from it. And these are best case scenarios, right? You, one of the most important things is direction of travel, right? And how many times that come into play? You know, like, uh, no, he, he never fired a shot. No, he, you know, the, the cops were shooting at him. He never shot back. Well, if there's a if there's a ricochet with a clear indication that the bullet was fired from 
from this location, uh, you know, this guy's shooting back. But, but you also, know. if you go to a crime scene, it's three or four different types of casings. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> this this so, was a gunfight. <laughs> right, right, right. Or, yeah, I was just shooting up in the air, you yeah. know, and then the cops started shooting at me, right? You yeah. know, all that stuff. So, yeah, right, this is a gunfight. So, uh, yeah, so the direction of travel, we can tell. Um, we can tell characteristics such as the rifling, like you had mentioned, mentioned rifling, right? So there's uh, a barrel will put a spin. I always use the analogy of a football. So the barrel will put a spin on a bullet. And uh, some, some barrels are designed to put a right-hand spin. They call that a right twist. Some are designed to put a left spin or a left twist on it. Uh, left is a left twist is uh, much more unique than a right twist. Very most of the firearms manufactured are, are right hand twist. So if you're able to get to a crime scene and determine, hey, this this had a left hand twist, uh, right now you can eliminate numerous firearms that could have been involved. You know, or if you find how could you do that at the scene? You can tell from certain ricochet marks. Like I said, in some best case scenarios. Can determine can you can look at it and say this was fired from a gun with a left hand twist. Oh, okay. So now we right. So uh, or you might find a gun at the scene that say it's a Colt forty five, which is a, typically a left hand twist, right? Uh, and and now you see a ricochet mark with a right hand twist. You say okay, this this did not come from this firearm. Whoever fired this shot, it wasn't whoever was in possession of this firearm. So these are these are things like it's really nice as you you know really well to be able to eliminate a lot of scenarios right off the bat, you know? So we might not be able to tell you exactly what firearm or anything like that, uh, but on on the scene, if we talk to you and say, listen, this this was fired from a, uh, from a bullet with a left-hand twist. If we, if we find, uh, I mean, from a firearm that had a barrel with a left-hand twist, if we find discharged uh, 45 ACP cartridge cases at the scene, okay, so it's, uh, you know, 45 with a left-hand twist. We're looking for a Colt, perhaps, you know. Uh, Kimber, I believe, also has a left-hand twist. But it's eliminating a lot of things right now. You know? But, John, in the re in the recovery of, let's say, a, a projectile, um, ballistics experts and crime scene experts never want to commit to the caliber. Isn't that correct? Uh, not, not necessarily, you know. Uh, yeah, for, so for the, for the bullet, um, it depends on the condition. That's why you mentioned cartridge cases. Cartridge cases are are more valuable in that they're ejected from the firearm and they fall on the ground. Maybe they get run over by a car, stepped on by somebody. But of course, the, the nature of the bullet is it's in flight, it's gonna hit things, it's gonna deform and stuff like that. So there are uh, certain class characteristics that can be put together to determine a caliber. You're right though, it is uh, quite often people are reluctant to uh, I always noticed in my in my work that they never wanted to commit to it. To say yeah, because you frequently see on TV, oh, that was a forty-five. Oh, that was a nine. Like how do you know? You know? They yeah, did things like that, and it, absolutes again, absolutes. Yeah. Uh, what is that called again? Um, the CSI effect, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So, so one of the, some of the things are uh, you could start putting together a bunch of class characteristics, like like the weight of the bullet. You know. Uh, the the lands and grooves the uh, then you know of course your diameter if you have a caliper on the scene if you have something that's not deformed and it's uh, in the neighborhood of uh, of a forty five it's probably a forty five you know I mean there's there's things uh, 
on the scene, you got to be careful with what you call. We're not, we're not always scientists, you know, our firearms unit typically did not go to crime scenes and, uh, and make on scene assessments. Of course, there's other, there's like state police agencies where their ballistics guy is the same guy that does the mic work and, and compares the bullets. So, uh, but in, you know, in my mind, those are two different, uh, two different disciplines, you know. But most of the time, uh, ballistics guys that I've I've noticed, and this is even funny, they love guns. They yeah. talk to them almost really like they talk about guns almost in a religious like way, you know. Yeah. Oh my God, this is a forty-five Beretta. You know, like you're like, hey, dude, take it easy. Take it easy. <laughs> It's like the guy yeah. at the range you see who has just a hole in the middle of his target. I don't want to sit next to that guy having lunch. You know, <laughs> that guy's dangerous. Anyone that can have a hole with fifty rounds went through this little hole. Right, That's right. scary. <laughs> That's scary. I, I'm going to confess to a little joke I played one time. I had the, you know, the highway guys. They're like a, another police department. Right, and stuff right. Like that, right. Yes, I, I used to make a pretty good group, you know, and I, and it, but this highway guy, he was talking, he was talking the talk and blah, 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 blah. You know how you, when you shoot the cycle, guys are sitting around, maybe having a coffee before you go out to the line, you know. And so this guy, and, and he was talking, he was talking it up really good. And he made a nice group like this, right? But, you know, you start the 25, the 15-yard line, then you go down to the 7-yard line. And I saw by the 15-yard line, he he was making a good group. I, I was too, but not not as tight as his. And I said, I got to do it, man. I got to do it. So I, I winged his target like over the over the right shoulder. Just <laughs> <laughs> and so the instructor's like, yeah, you got a you got a ninety eight. You know, remember it was like two points per shot. And the yeah, guy's yeah. like, what do you mean a ninety eight? And he goes, look at this shot. I didn't fire that shot. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's so crazy, right? Because someone that shoots that well is is so you know, obviously they're practicing a lot. Right, yeah. Exactly. To make a hole in the middle of the target by shooting twice a year, like I did. You know? Right, right. My mine looked like uh, you know blood spatter, blood stain pattern analysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your target had a bad case of acne. You know, body, right. body. And all, it was like oh, blood. What was that? Um, stippling. It looked like stippling. stippling. <laughs> Twenty-five yards of stippling, right? <laughs> Don't you have some slides to that we can? Uh, yeah, let me. I'm going to share my screen with you guys. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, about bullet ricochet phenomena. And uh, I know some people are only going to be listening to this. So I'm going to try and describe as best I can the uh, what we're seeing on the uh, on the slides, you know. Absolutely. But so we have uh, bullet ricochet phenomena. So essentially, uh, I get I get. Uh, all my ballistics training, you know, my guru is Ed Heskey. He's he's really one of the best in the country. I've I've worked with with Ed actually. Uh, lucky to I was lucky enough to go to one crime scene with Ed in Texas one time. He says I, we were sitting on his porch having a beer, and he gets a phone call. He goes, John, you want to do a crime scene with me tomorrow? <laughs> I said that would be like Elvis saying, "You want to play harmonica with me?" Yeah, you better believe I'm going to a crime scene with you. <laughs> so I got to go and. It, He's fantastic. So Where is he, he's from Texas. He's from Texas. Yeah, he was a director of the laboratory in Arizona. Uh, you know, he's a real scientist, and he trained NYPD in a lot of uh, his shooting reconstruction techniques and stuff. So, uh, 
you know, I'm not claiming any of this to be my own science. I've, I've taken his, uh, his principles and I've done my own experiments that are within the guidelines of, of what Ed has established just so I could have my own pictures and see for myself how this stuff works. You know, I'll tell you another story. I was, uh, uh, actually I'm going to save that for when we get to this portion of the presentation. Okay. There was a, you know, after I took one of his classes, he came to the, to the lab and taught us and I was out at a scene and I saw exactly what he was talking about. And I was like a little kid. I was like, Oh man, I know what that is. You know? And I called him up. I said, that, guess what I just saw. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, the definition of a, a bullet ricochets, the result of a bullet impacting a surface or an object at an angle of less than 90 degrees and thus being deflected off in a different direction and or angle, right? So less than 90 degrees, that's what we're looking at. And what kind of bullets are going to produce your ricochets? The slower uh, moving, larger bullets are more inclined to produce a ricochet, right? So when you have something like a 223 versus a 45, right? Uh, 223 will travel at approximately 3,000 feet per second. While the 45 ACP is at about 850 feet per second. So that's a very significant difference in speed. The bullet weights are, are uh, vastly different. And uh, you're going to get, uh, you're, you're more likely to get a ricochet with the larger, slower moving bullets than you are with the, with the smaller, faster ones, you know. So basically, any surface can produce a ricochet. That, that desk that your computer's sitting on, I could, I could ricochet a bullet off of that. You could ricochet a bullet off of water. You know, you could uh, ricochet a bullet off of just, I've, I've ricocheted bullets off of uh, sheetrock, you know. You could ricochet off of just about any surface, right? So, but each surface has its own unique characteristics. Let me, John, uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah. When a bullet ricochets, how much speed does it lose? Uh, you know, that, that all depends on, uh, there's so many variables, right? It depends on what it hits. Like if it, if it strikes water, you know, versus striking uh, sheet metal or something like that. Uh, now there's, there's some of the other variables are going to be the design of the bullet, like a, a hollow point versus a round nose, you know? So, uh, it's going to, it's going to lose some speed and typically it's going to begin rather than being in a perfect spiral, like a football it's going to start to tumble after it makes contact with that, that substrate. So, of course, now you're losing the aerodynamic effect of the bullet traveling uh, like a football with a spiral on it. So it does, it does lose speed. I don't have any, uh, any real data on that. And I think that's, a, that's an excellent question, something uh, maybe we could do some experimenting with. Well, just one, one other thing that, uh, that I learned actually from talking to uh, – ballistics and crime scene people if a bullet is fired say at at a concrete floor example say at, at a uh, like a 45 degree angle the bullet doesn't hit that surface and uh retain the same angle that it was fired at it hugs the floor isn't that correct yeah that i remember them teaching us that in the academy you know? I was, uh, that was amazing to me i was like wow how is that yeah. why is that you know yeah so so essentially, the surface that the bullet strikes, and we're going to talk about that. I have some slides on that. The surface that the bullet strikes uh, has a lot to do with the ricochet angle, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. So we have the angle of impact, which is the bullet is fired um, 
like you said, so say I fire the bullet at that at that concrete floor at a 20 degree angle or something, right? That's my angle of impact from the firearm to where it initially strikes that surface. That's my angle of impact, right? Then from that point, if we're in the realm where it's going to ricochet, uh, when it departs that surface, that's my angle of ricochet, right? So now we're going to get into that a little bit. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, we'll, uh, we'll skip through this. So it's not like a, like a classroom lecture here, but yes. So this is what I'm talking about. You can see here's your angle of impact. So if you have the bullet, it's fired from the gun. It leaves the muzzle of the gun. It strikes a surface. That's your angle of impact. And it's going to be that uh, an angle of, it's going to be called the angle of impact, whether the bullet ricochets or not. So when a bullet, uh, goes into a wall, like you're talking about a terminal target, we're gonna determine what angle the bullet hit the wall at, that's our angle of impact. If the bullet doesn't uh, remain in the surface or penetrate or perforate the surface, and it actually uh, strikes the surface and deflects, then we're gonna have our ricochet angle, right? And you can see actually in this, in this slide that the ricochet angle is less than the angle of impact. That's not always the case though, right? There's really, three angles that we're, that we're concerned about. We have our angle of impact. So you fire the bullet, it leaves, leaves the muzzle of the gun, strikes the surface. That's our angle of impact, right? Then it might travel down the surface for a little distance and then depart the surface. Where it departs, that's our ricochet angle. There's also gonna be a third angle. Uh, that's the angle of deflection, right? So if the bullet is spinning, with a right hand twist, our angle of deflection is going to be off to the right. If it's spinning with a left hand twist, it's going to be off to the left. I have a good, uh, a good slide to show you that. So that's what I saw when uh, we were in a police involved shooting and not, uh, we had a captain at crime, crime scene. He was a, a roly poly guy and you might remember the voice. I'm not going to say a name, but he's, he'd come in. I'm a captain. I'm a captain. I'm a captain. <laughs> and he was, he knew everything, this guy. So I remember I, I saw this, I saw a ricochet mark and the ricochet mark can sometimes give you rifling characteristics. So I, when I looked at the mark, I had just learned this from Ed and I saw it was a right hand twist. So everybody was looking straight ahead where the bullet would have gone. And I remembered from when I was taught that the bullet would go off to the right. So everybody's, you know how cops can be. They all go like, you know, man with a gun, one, two, five in Lennox. Where's everybody going? One, two, five in Lennox. You know, yeah. who finds the guy with the gun? The guy that takes the perimeter and goes slow, right? Because goes it, to the escape routes of the perimeter. Yeah, you know what I mean? So we're, that's how we are though. A lot of, you know, there's almost a herd mentality sometimes. Yeah. Everybody's looking straight ahead at this wall and I'm looking off to the right for another wall and I found it, you know? so. Rather than tell the captain right away, the first thing I did was call Ed. I said, hey, Ed, guess what? Everybody's looking for the bullet over here. I found it over here. He goes, <laughs> oh, you mean this stuff really works? I was like, yeah, it works. He's like, ah, congratulations, you know? I'm like, I guess I better tell the captain, you know, yeah. he's looking in the wrong place, right? So that, but that's our angle of deflection. It can be very important to, to know if you're, uh, if you're looking to find the bullet's terminal target after it ricocheted. So we have those three angles. Uh, the impact angle, the ricochet angle, and the angle of deflection, right? So one of the things we're going to look at uh, is uh, what, we, what we call a critical angle, right? So like I said, if, if, we're, if I'm shooting a bullet right here into my desk, if I stand over it and I shoot straight down, the bullet's going to go into the desk, right? If I start 
decreasing that angle. So when I'm shooting directly down at the desk, let's call that 90 degrees. So if I go down to 80 degrees, 70 degrees, 60, you know, 50, at, there's going to come a point where that bullet will now ricochet instead of uh, penetrating. And that's that from that point, that's called the critical angle. So say my critical angle is 35 degrees. I just discovered that that this desk, any surface like that we call a substrate. So this substrate will produce a ricochet using this particular type of bullet at 35 degrees, right? So now from 35 degrees to zero degrees, I'm gonna get a ricochet. Above 35 degrees, it's gonna penetrate the surface. So uh, 35 degrees is my critical angle, right? So this desk might have 35 degrees. That concrete floor you're talking about uh, might be 40 degrees. It's just, it's all dependent on the surface, dependent on the configuration of the bullet, um, you know, a hollow point versus a round nose, those types of things. Right. So, uh, so that's our critical angle. Thank you.